A quick warning. This podcast contains discussions about suicide. Listener discretion is advised. Some people are born knowing their life's passion. From the time they're toddlers, their mothers say, they knew they wanted to be teachers or firefighters or doctors. Others stumble upon it, happily discovering career interests, a special fascination with a particular hobby or a subject in school. But some people, often the really committed ones, find their calling under more negative circumstances. Life kind of smacks them in the face and sometimes really drags them under before they realize that they're meant to do something, tackle a problem, prevent the same negative thing from happening to others. Donna Ford was like that. She was earning her PhD in urban education when she realized that what almost killed her at age 16 had indeed made her very, very resilient. Her life's calling was set into place during her darkest moments. This is Inspire, a podcast by The Ohio State University's College of Education and Human Ecology. I'm Robin Chenoweth. Our story begins today in East Cleveland, where an expert in the making found herself identified as intellectually gifted in middle school. Donna Ford would become a leading thinker on gifted education and the nation's most respected advocate for gifted children of color. But as a middle schooler, she just knew that she wanted to find a better path. Being in poverty, living in poverty, was really a challenge because I knew that there had to be another way to live. And one of the reasons I desperately tried to do well in school was to make sure that I was able to, as much as I could, get us out of poverty, and um, especially my mom, and to give us a better life. So I don't, sometimes I suffer from survival guilt because I don't think that others, students um, recognize that there were people who were well off and who weren't starving and who weren't always hungry, who weren't always needy, and that you didn't have to steal to meet your needs. I didn't want to go that route. I didn't want to live that kind of life. I wanted education to be my way out of poverty and then to make my mother proud of me and us and to help everyone in my family. I was first identified as being gifted in elementary school but I don't have much recollection of that other than I know how I was identified. <laughs> so at that time, if you could read really well, you got identified. And I had memorized this book, and I still love it to this day. Are you my mother? Are you my mother? And I had memorized it. I read it all the time. And so when they had me come in and do an evaluation, that's the book I read. But it was more than that book. Donna was moved from first grade to second because she outperformed her peers. She was an avid reader and wrote very well from a young age. Her teachers in East Cleveland could see that she was advanced. So they tested her again in middle school. The results confirmed that Donna was intellectually and academically gifted. 
and it hurts still to say this, but the phrase was, we got to save you from East Cleveland. They had to save her. Sometimes Donna tears up when she recounts the story. She didn't feel that way until she had intensely studied urban education in college. At that time when I heard, we need to save you, it really didn't sink in. You know, we need to save you from East Cleveland. It really didn't sink in, other than I was thinking, you're not challenged in school. I didn't know that they were also talking about, we need to save you from the drugs and the crime and the peer pressure. So I know that now, but at that time, um, I didn't. And um, it's, it still bothers me because rather than saving me from East Cleveland, let's do a better job of changing East Cleveland and improving the schools. Her teachers administered another test called ABC, or A Better Chance. She passed, which meant that she was awarded a scholarship to attend any high school of her choice in the United States. Leaving her mother and sisters was out of the question, so she chose an elite private school in a Cleveland suburb, a 45-minute bus ride away from her home. Donna was saved, except that she wasn't. It didn't go well at the new school. Donna saw wealth that she had only ever seen on television. Her classmates carried designer handbags and bragged about European vacations. In this world, she had no point of reference. She was lost. One of the few black girls at the school grew up affluent and was embarrassed of Donna. The white girls didn't accept her and refused to do class projects with her. She sat alone in the lunchroom and in the school labs. The isolation was demoralizing. Her favorite and best subject, language arts, became a source of misery for her because the teacher seemed to target her. And I love writing. It's cathartic for me. It was like, it's like, not was, but is my release. But the teacher accused her of not writing the paper she turned in on the Canterbury Tales. It was too good, she said, and gave her a lower grade. Donna was shattered, but she tried again. Her next essay was on the Scarlet Letter. She particularly identified with the book's protagonist, Esther Prynne. So I turned it in and she said, well, this is really good. Now, I want you to share this with your classmates. And I, I'm just gonna be blunt. I said, oh, hell no, I'm not sharing this. Because uh, I'm thinking, I hate you and I hate them because you hate me and they hate me. I was writing this for myself. And so when I told her no, she's like, if you don't do it, I'm gonna tear it up and you're gonna get a felling grade. So I said, tear it up, give me the felling grade. The standoff continued for months, with Donna writing papers and the teacher accusing her of cheating and giving her D's and F's. This was my favorite subject area, language arts, and she tore me up, tore me up. So I'm uh, like, what else can I do? I mean, I like math, I liked other subject areas, but my favorite subject area, subject area and she is just ripping me apart. Any and every time, I did better than the other students. It was devastating. Then the administration began to publicly accuse her of stealing students' jewelry. They subjected her to a strip search, down to her underclothes, in a school office. The effect on Donna was crushing. She began overeating and gaining weight. She stopped leaving her house except to go to school, stopped talking to her sisters. 
Worse, she began planning an exit strategy from the situation she felt was unbearable. She thought about poisoning herself, but was afraid that she would just maim or cripple herself. She began writing suicide notes, but would rip them up because, in her own words, they weren't good enough. I entered that school feeling I was brilliant. I've been told over and over again how smart I was. Um, I liked and had no issues being black. Had no clue, really, because all my needs were met, seriously. All my needs were met, even though we were low income. So I had no clue that someone would put us in the category of being poor until I got out of East Cleveland. There's nothing to explain how devastating that was. And I'm a really strong person. So when I tell people that at 16 how bad that experience was and I was suicidal, they're like, you? Suicidal? She would be dead today, she says, if her family had had a paper shredder. But her mother found the bits of suicide notes and figured out what was going on. So my mom came to me after piecing one to two letters together. I'm sorry. It's all right. So my mother came to me after piecing together one to two letters, and she um, said, "Um, Donna, why didn't you talk to me? I had no idea that you felt this way. And um, I'm just so glad that I found these letters because I would have lost you. And it's true. I was, when I was going to commit suicide, as I said, other times, I was going to be successful. And when I put my mind to something, um, it's going to work out like I want it to. So she was she was devastated. I mean, very um, hurt. Um, I just didn't know that at that time, 16 years of age, that um, I could just come to her and explain what was going on because I didn't want to disappoint her. Um, My mother had and has such high expectations. They're realistic, Um, and and she's very supportive, but so many expectations that um, as a young child, I just like, I can't can't look my mother in the face and disappoint her. Her mom exhorted her to hang in three months until the school year ended. Then she would enroll her at Shaw High School in East Cleveland. Donna went on a crash diet to try to lose all the weight that she had gained. You might think this is where Donna Ford could turn things around. Smartest kid in the school, a girl who had purpose and knew where she wanted to go, in her own element once again, in control. But... That was another story of... I was no longer depressed and suicidal. But I was, I feared for my life um, almost every day. At her neighborhood school, Donna was now harassed because she made good grades. I thought I would be um, beat up because I did well in school. And so I asked my teachers never to share my grades. And I also, um, also had issues with the girls accused me of acting white because I spoke mainstream English because I did well in school. And then there was the issue of her hair. 
and not felt I knew, and I had to deal with this, that some of the girls um, wanted to fight me, beat me up because I had long hair. While other girls braided their hair or wore it naturally as an expression of their cultural identity, Donna's hair was naturally long and fine. It mirrored the European beauty standards that the girls and black culture rejected, but somehow still coveted. Her hair irked her classmates and made Donna a target once again. In the black community, especially among girls, hair is major. So, you know, how long is your hair? It matters, naturally long. And then the, what's the texture of your hair? So mine was just naturally long and didn't have to do like any um, processing. Uh, they have wigs and weaves, you know, use much, but it was just naturally long and a fine texture. And it was always, oh, you got good hair, you got good hair. Not just long, but long and, in quotation marks, good. And um, you would get your behind whipped, whooped and whipped because of the jealousy. And Robin, it exists today. And so you, you see some, perhaps many, black females wearing weaves and hair extensions. And I guess it makes them feel beautiful. But it, that's never how I felt. I didn't want to be known for my hair. I wanted to be known for my brains, my achievement. She asked her mother every day if she could cut her hair. Her mother refused. So to Shaw High School she went with her hair down her back. Every day I'm like, I do not want to go to school, but um, I was not going to end my life because um, I, f I felt a different kind of pressure, and I knew it was just going to be two years. And she had one thing she didn't have at that elite private school. The teachers were not discriminatory like the one at the private school. So it was like I got the teacher support. So at the private school, I had no teacher support and no classmate support. At Shaw, I had very few friends. And most of the students I was afraid of, especially the girls, um, because of the hair, for example. But I did have teachers who supported me, and, and that's what got me through. Donna applied for and received a full scholarship to Case Western Reserve. She chose engineering as her major. But now she had another issue, a carryover from her time at Shaw High School. Wanting to fit in at Shaw just a little bit, uh, I started dating against my mother's wishes. And I became a single mom. So I graduated uh, from high school, maybe four to five months pregnant. At one of the most prestigious colleges in the country, studying a rigorous program that high school perhaps did not prepare her for, and pregnant. Calculus and an unhelpful professor quickly did her in. And I asked this professor, I'm like, I don't know when I'm going to use this stuff. And the only thing he told me was, um, you're going to need it for differential equations. So I'm like, what is that? He, he didn't even explain it. So it's like, I'm lost. And then finally he said, you're not math material. 
you're not engineering material. And so I will make sure you fail this class. And before he did, I just left and I went home. On her 18th birthday, she cut her hair very short. One month later, her son Kyle was born. And then she fell back into the doldrums. It was another um, period of depression to the point where um, I guess my son was going on one year. My mother said, you've got too much that you can do. You either go back to school or you got to leave this house because I'm not going to watch you just sit here. Um, I just know you could do so much and um, I don't know how to help you. So when she said that, okay, let me see, I'm going to be homeless. I don't know where to go. Okay, Mom, I'm going back to school. And she did. Her mom babysat Kyle while she was in class. In just three years, Donna graduated from Cleveland State with dual degrees in communications and Spanish. This despite the fact that Kyle was diagnosed late with Kawasaki's disease, with complications that he battled for months. After a year spent in a dead-end job, and with a lens looking back to her past, Donna finally became interested in studying education. She went back to Cleveland State and got into a master's program in counseling education. It was a two-year program, but I was so motivated. Um, I finished it in one year. Without taking a break, she entered a new PhD program in urban education with an emphasis on education psychology and gifted education. She began to look at students of color. As she studied, something was beginning to happen to Donna Ford, a reawakening, a cleansing of past hurt. Her dissertation focused on social, psychological, and cultural variables that contribute to underachievement among black gifted students. This gave me an opportunity to be self-reflective and cathartic and to think about my experiences as a gifted student. In her reading and dissertation and almost obsessive studying, she found that girl she was and many, many other kids like her. I was studying myself in order to help others. And um, so it was like self-counseling. I've never been to a counselor, so it was counseling myself as I wrote my, this dissertation and subsequent work, because I wanted to um, get, re get relieved from my own experiences, but never forget them so that I could help others, including my son, who, ha who had some difficulties being identified as gifted. She went on to write eight books on the subject. She got tenure-track professorships at University of Virginia and then at Ohio State in 1997. My first few years, my focus was almost completely on gifted education with an urban focus. And by urban, I was meaning um, any student of color, any group of color who were not being identified as gifted and definitely those who live in poverty. So I, I was working um, a lot with Columbus City Schools um, to prepare teachers to be culturally competent and to um, be 
very um, um, what do you call well trained in gifted education. Then Gordon Gee recruited her to Vanderbilt University, where she joined the famed Peabody College of Education and Human Development. While there, she testified in court cases defending the rights of gifted students of color. In McFadden versus Board of Education, District U46, she presented a nonverbal test that she felt Hispanic students in Elgin, Illinois, should have been given. And then she deftly administered it to the judge. I gave him like, I don't know, maybe 10 items at different grade levels, starting from kindergarten to the last one was 10th to 12th grade. And he got the kindergarten one, I, I believe. <laughs> but the other ones, fifth and sixth and seventh, eighth, et cetera, he did not get. The judge didn't pass the test. I may not say this verbatim, but uh, in my mind, I remember him saying, damn, I'm a federal judge and I'm, you know, accomplished and I'm white and I'm privileged. I mean, this is still in my memory. He said, and I can't pass a test that you say Hispanic students do as well on as whites. And the like, it was like people in the courtroom just like broke down other than the defendants, right? But they just broke down. And I'm like, yes, this is what I wanted him to know. This is what I want the world to know. The judge ruled the district intentionally discriminated against children of color by retesting Hispanic students at the middle school level when white students weren't retested and by not giving them a nonverbal test. The equation that Ford used to calculate what the true proportion of gifted students should have been became known as Donna Ford's equity formula. Donna Ford came back to Ohio State in 2019 as a part of a diverse cohort hired by Dean Don Pope Davis to address rural and urban education disparities. She's still tackling inequity in gifted education, both locally and nationally. She cites national data showing that though 19% of children in public schools are black, only 10% are identified as academically and intellectually gifted. So we're underrepresented by 50%. The numbers are almost as bad for Latinx children, all of which means that Donna Ford truly beat the odds back in 1975. So when I'm looking, look back and say, wow, way back then, somehow I was identified, I still marvel at that. Um, I still have sometimes a hard time wrapping my head around that because I see today or in recent years, that it does not happen. And I still think about how challenging it was for my son um, to be um, identified as gifted. She's working with Columbus area superintendents to launch a program for female high school students of color, gifted and not, to exhort them to reach higher, work together to go farther, and to not fall into the same traps that nearly swallowed her as a teenager. I don't want anybody to ever experience the negative expectations that I did. And two, um, I want us to, I want teachers, uh, professionals, to really um, look beyond our skin color 
and our um, income level to recognize how brilliant we really are. 